The title for today's message is called Jesus is Alive. Jesus is Alive. And our passage this morning is going to come from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. And the big idea that we're going to be working with today is that Jesus is actively inviting us to believe in his word and work. Jesus is actively inviting us to believe in his word and work. Even if uh, you're here today and you uh, believed way back when, or maybe it was just yesterday, or maybe you're here this morning uh, exploring and trying to figure some things out, Jesus is still actively pursuing you. He's inviting you to believe. And to kind of kick things off, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever worked so hard toward a certain goal or outcome that when it came time for all the things to come together, it just fell apart and fell to pieces and you were left in the aftermath of that failure? Um, I was thinking about that question this week, thinking through different times and seasons in my life where I've experienced those kinds of things, and maybe for me, one of the biggest ones uh, by far was the spring of 2015. I had begun a journey a couple years before that point to become an official pastor in our group of churches that we belong to. I was interning up at one of our churches in Vancouver. I was uh, leading the music there. I was leading the youth group, and I was going to seminary. And I had even gotten my license to preach the year before in 2014. And here it was, the spring of 2015, and I went the distance. I pulled together all my learning, all my resources, and I completed my written doctrine exam, which talk to me about it later. It's a big deal. But anyway, so I, I completed this, this document, this exam, so that I could meet up with this uh, board of ministry. They're the people who hold the credentials for the conference, and so that I could verbally defend to them my position on different uh, doctrines of the church. So I worked really hard on this thing, so hard, in fact, that I ran it by my pastor at the time. I ran it by my mentor, and even our superintendent who oversees our churches um, at that time, and everyone was saying things like, good job, perfect, excellent, green light, should be a breeze. Those kinds of positive affirmations. Um, I think the superintendent even said, this is the best that I've ever seen. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Hopefully you're not blowing smoke. So, um, but... When the day came for me to go before the board of ministry, I was ready. I knew my positions. I knew the verses in the Bible to back them up. And they started asking me questions. And each of the people on the board, they have their certain question that they ask everybody. Um, and I was nervous. I was sweating a lot. I was dressed up a lot nicer than I usually am in life. But I was holding my own until there came one question and it was in that moment in how I answered it that everything started to unravel. I was stumbling over my words, and they were really gracious. Um, they weren't mean at all. They, were, they loved me. I loved them. And so it was this, this moment of grace, but in, they were having to handle 
my big ball of emotions because I wasn't answering both in how I wanted to communicate what I was trying to say and in a way that they would hear and understand. Um, they even tried to move on to other topics like, okay, let's, let's get off of this question here. Let's move on. Um, but I, I, it, nothing helped <laughs> me get past this moment. And so I did not pass that first verbal defense because it, of that one fatal moment when everything fell apart. And it was in the aftermath of all of that, it was like a storm cloud was over my head. I couldn't shake it to save my life. All my hopes, all my dreams that I had been like putting stock into this one moment were crushed. Now, maybe you've been through a situation like that or two, uh, hopefully not more than that, but here we are, uh, where, you know, you take that risk, you, you, you step out in faith and you end up falling flat on your face. Uh, maybe your story is a little less major or maybe a, a lot more major in other ways. But it still comes down to that moment um, in your story, it hits you deep inside because you've poured your heart and your soul into what should have been a win and it ended up being a huge loss. And the truth is we all go through moments or seasons like this in our life, do we not? And I don't know about you, but sometimes, if I'm being honest, these moments end up being times where it really has influenced and challenged my faith. You know, I've said things like, God, you know, if you really cared right now what I'm going through, why'd I have to go through that situation? It really sucked. This is terrible. Why am I going through this? How can life go on from this point? You get the picture. Let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about this. Because Jesus is alive, and Jesus is actively inviting us to believe in his word and work. So today we're going to look at a man in the Bible who was actually one of Jesus' followers. He had been there since the beginning. He was one of the apostles, one of the twelve. And we find him here in a moment where all of his hope... And all of his dreams were crushed when Jesus died on the cross. And three days later, the tomb, it lay empty. Jesus physically appeared to Mary Magdalene because she was in the garden. And later on, some of the other disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And so let's read about Thomas' experience together. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 20 beginning in verse 24. John 20, 24. Here we go. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. <clears throat> so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other things, or uh, sorry, other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. The first thing I see in our passage is that because Jesus is alive, we are met in our brokenness. You can go to the next slide. Because Jesus is alive, we are met in our brokenness. So the 12 disciples had just been through the most unimaginable week of their lives. They came to Jerusalem thinking they were going to do one thing, celebrate one of their essential festivals for the Jewish calendar year with their teacher, their rabbi, their mentor, Jesus. And then that trip turned into something much worse than they had ever imagined. After Jesus' arrest on Thursday night and his execution the following day, Thomas and the other disciples had just had their closest friend and mentor ripped from them. All their hopes and preferred future as apprentices to Jesus were crushed. And yet, when we think about Thomas, there's a lot of people who want to put, they're quick to put the label on him as doubting Thomas. Have you heard that before? But consider with me the amazing loss that Thomas had just endured. And it's easy to see why he would be in such shock and disbelief at the news that the others had brought. I imagine that, you know, the news that the other disciples had shared must have felt kind of like salt in the wound a bit. The others had seen the Lord, but he hadn't. And so we read those words of Thomas, and we can kind of feel that bitterness and that pain with each word, like someone who's been through the most excruciating trauma that we could ever imagine. And so in verse 25, Thomas, he gives that understandable response where he says, unless I see it with my own eyes and I place my physical finger in the marks of his hands, the wounds of Christ tangibly, undeniably experiencing firsthand this unimaginable miracle that you say has happened, not going to believe it. And when I read the story of Thomas, yes, he wanted the empirical proof. He, you know, but it wasn't because he didn't want to believe. But having been through what he'd been through the past three or four days, believing didn't seem like it was going to be enough. How could anything bring back the executed Savior of the world? You know, most people don't just get crucified and then come back to life, let alone, um, you know, uh, all the pain that Jesus endured. People don't normally come back from that experience. 
So Tom, Thomas, he couldn't see it. And so when I read this, it's easy to imagine the hurt he must have felt at the suggestion that Jesus had appeared to them. And all of this makes me think of epic extra-large Easter egg hunts. Yep. So yesterday we took our kids over to the hunt at Miller Park, and it was awesome. It was really great for us. It was great. I don't know how you feel about it, but it was a good experience for us. Uh, even though uh, we were running late and we arrived right at the start time, they'd just blown the whistle, and our kids were running to the field to their positions, my kids still got some eggs. It was fantastic. I love it. Because, you know, we're from the Portland area where egg hunts are like a thing of legends. The bigger, the better. Um, for example, we had this one church, uh, not one of our churches, but uh, there was a church in the area in Vancouver where, I'm not kidding, they would do this thing where they would hire out a helicopter with this big bunch of eggs and they would fly it up and then drop it down for the kids to just go hog wild and go after. <sighs> we never went to that one, but I've heard stories. Now, uh, unlike this picture that's up here on the screen, right? Look at all those happy faces, all, all the hope and expectation there. Um, the experience that we've had, especially at those big city hunts, ends up be having a lot more tears and hurt feelings when your kids don't get eggs. <laughs> it's a tough time being in the big city, let me tell you. And that's why we are so... That, not just for Easter egg hunts, but things like them. We love our community here. It's awesome. Um, we love Florence. And so with that mad grab for candy-filled plastic eggs, kids, they put all their hopes and their dreams into this game, do they not? And if it doesn't shape up like they pictured, like we see advertised in pictures like this, plastered all over social media or on the news or on flyers that are said, come to our egg hunt, they're crushed. And as people, you know, with some experience who have been through their share of egg hunts, we go to them in their brokenness and we say things like, oh, honey, you know, there's always the next one just down the road, or, oh, there's always next year. And, you know, sometimes that helps. Sometimes the kids rally and they're like, okay, all right. Sometimes it helps, and sometimes it really doesn't. Um, and sometimes the thought has already been planted deep in their souls that tells them that they'll ever only get the short end of the stick. And it's there that we're met in our brokenness. We're reminded of the beautiful truth that Jesus is alive every year at Easter. And sometimes we're not in a place to receive it. We may not even be in a place where we can even think about it or even want to hear what might be said by somebody who enthusiastically says us, to us, He is risen! <laughs> Sometimes we give, you know, that, you know, passive, like, here's Rosen indeed kind of thing. We don't want to hear it sometimes. But I want to encourage you 
that God sees you right where you're at. He sees you in your brokenness, and he cares enough to come and meet you right where you're at. And so here in Thomas's experience, I believe that Jesus is actively inviting Thomas and us to believe in his word and his work for all of us, not just some of us. The truth is for each and every one of us today. And if that sounds too good to be true, you are in good company with Thomas. So let's keep going. The second thing I get from our passage is that because Jesus is alive, we are led to encounter restoration. We are led to encounter restoration. So eight days had passed. And the disciples, they're gathered together again. The number eight in the Bible is linked with that idea of restoration and new beginnings. I don't think the disciples planned it that way. I think it just sort of happened in that way. Um, I believe that we see as the events are unfolding on that eighth day that that theme of new beginnings holds true to that pattern in Scripture. But all the same, they were staying there in Jerusalem. The city was recovering from massive festival time at the Passover, and there the disciples were in some inside place with a locked door. And I think it's interesting when the Bible gives us really unique details to a situation. So in verses 26 through 28, they highlight the physical details of that moment. They are in that place where there is no reasonable way for anybody to physically get into where the disciples were other than through the door. And we can gather from what we've read that according to John, that Jesus hadn't been in that place up until that moment. It's not like Jesus was hiding in a corner somewhere ready to jump out and say, surprise, I'm here. That didn't, that's not how that went down. But right then and there, Jesus came and he stood among them and he spoke to them. They see that he's physically there, and they hear him audibly speak. And can I just say, it's a good thing Jesus said, peace be with you. Otherwise, they may have gotten a little defensive a little bit. Because picture this, if you have a locked door, you don't really expect somebody to get through that locked door. And it's a good thing also that it was Jesus. Otherwise, James and John, those sons of thunder, may have started throwing hands, <laughs> right? But here we go. This is what I find interesting. Straight away, Jesus gets right to the point. He's there for Thomas. And with every word, he invites Thomas to experience the truth that he had truly risen from the dead. It wasn't just some make-believe vision that the other disciples were imagining or some hallucination or anything, he had actually risen physically from the dead. He had appeared to the other disciples, and now he's here for Thomas in the place of his disbelief. And he answers his need to know firsthand that Jesus is alive with exactly what Thomas insisted on in the first place. Jesus said, put your fingers here, see my hands, place your hand in my side where uh, where the Roman soldier would have, you know, put the spear and, you know, the water and the blood gushed out. Sorry to get so gross, but, you know, that happened. And so he's 
you know, all healed up, and he's saying, look, you've asked for this here. It is. You need to know firsthand, and I, I see you, and I know that that's what you need. And so Thomas heard him, and he saw him, Jesus standing right there, where he could just go up and physically touch the wounds that Jesus endured on the cross. And it's in that place of encountering that fact that Jesus is alive. It was there that Thomas responded in belief, saying, My Lord, my God. And what Thomas once thought was lost, beyond all hope, had just been restored to him. His trust in God's goodness to save, his faith that Jesus was the person he had come to believe Jesus to be, and all of this makes me think about that meeting that I had on the Monday after my no-pass doctrine exam with that board of ministry. We had scheduled uh, to meet on Monday. I think it was around 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. But we were meeting at the conference office where I also worked. That also made it awkward, just saying. <laughs> anyway, we'll talk about it sometime. Uh, but I went there to that meeting where I was going to get to meet with the superintendent and the chairman of this board to go over some options of how I could move forward. And through that meeting, we talked through the issue uh, where, you know, I had stumbled on my answer. We made a plan, and I got to see firsthand these two seasoned pastors come alongside me and give me hope again in the process. On Friday, I was crushed, but on Monday, I had a new found sense of hope. And by that following month, I was able to meet with the board again. They re-asked that one question, and I was able to answer genuinely and sincerely and clearly, and I got passed on through to be recommended to be ordained. And in that place, God led me to encounter restoration. Because the crazy reality at the heart of the Christian faith is this belief that death does not have the final word. My race was not done in 2015, and it's not done now. And each time I experience a season that challenges my faith in God's purposes, in the end, he proves faithful and good every single time. And just like Jesus was there for Thomas, he's here for you this morning. Where in your life has it been hard to believe in God and his goodness for you? In what ways have you been challenged by what you're going through? The truth is that Jesus is actively inviting us to believe in his word, what he says, and his work, what he does. And that will ultimately lead us to encounter restoration in him if we receive it. And if we can have that encounter and that realization and that transformation that takes place so we can look at Jesus and say, my Lord and my God, in full faith and full assurance. Now the third thing <clears throat> that this leads us to is that because Jesus is alive, we are witnesses to his work 
for us. Because Jesus is alive, we're witnesses to his work for us. Thomas believed because he encountered this truth firsthand. He got to actually, you know, I imagine he probably gave Jesus a hug once the shock wore off, right? I mean, he could actually go up and hug Jesus. He encountered that firsthand, and that's the beautiful outcome of his encounter. But Jesus also made it clear in verse 29 that those who have not seen firsthand and yet have believed, those people are what Jesus called blessed. These people know the favor of God. These people have blessing from all the benefits that come uh, with belief in Jesus for salvation, that freedom from sin, forgiveness, new life in him. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And therein lies the rub for John, the guy who wrote uh, and recorded this gospel. In the three years that Jesus ministered alongside his disciples, and the 40 days following the resurrection to when Jesus ascended physically into heaven, Jesus performed lots of signs in the presence of his disciples which means that as good as this testimony about the words and work of Jesus may be, they couldn't fully contain or hold all that Jesus did. But stories like this one of Thomas and the others shows us that Jesus cares that we believe. And he wants you and I to know that he is the Christ, that chosen anointed servant of God to save the world. He is the Son of God, and as a person of the Trinity, Jesus is the same substance and power as the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is truly man and truly God, and it's through believing, putting our faith and trust in Jesus that we are given life in his name. And that's why John, who wrote this down, someone who had walked with Jesus and with Thomas and the others for three whole years, he wants you to know who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. He knows and he cares about where you're at, and Jesus invites you to believe through this passage just like he did with Thomas. You know, our belief today is based on the witness of those who have gone before us, like Thomas and like John, and like whoever it was that led you to faith in Christ the first time. People who had experienced this resurrection of Jesus in some way. And when we encounter God and his salvation, we have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. We are living, breathing witnesses to the truth that Jesus is who he said he was and that what Jesus did on the cross and the grave was enough to bring us into new life that we can experience here and now. Belief in Jesus leads us to that blessing of new life and the truth of the gospel is that good news is meant to be shared and leads to others discovering belief in a God who loves them and hopes for them and has saved them through his work 
on the cross. So let me ask you today, where are you? I mean, literally, you're right here. You're sitting in a pew. But spiritually, where are you at today? Are you, do you find yourself more at the beginning of that story where you're having a hard time believing that God would have any kind of good for you because you just feel kind of crushed by whatever life has been laying on you? Or, on the other hand, are you here today and maybe you're kind of towards the middle or the end of the story where you have realized this good truth that Jesus is alive and that there is good for you even if life is just crummy right now, that his goodness is still good and that it is there for you. Wherever you're at today on those kind of two extremes, Jesus is inviting you and I to believe in what he has said and what he did for you. So let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll go and enjoy our Easter's together. All right, he is risen. Father God, I thank you so much that you are good. I thank you that you have given us this invitation today to believe. And that even if we accepted that invitation a bunch of years ago, Father, I know that sometimes it's hard to still believe. And that each moment each breath that we take is another opportunity for us to believe in you and to learn more in this relationship with you. For all of my friends here today, God, I pray that you would meet them where they're at. That maybe this story and this time of sharing the word together, God, that that would be a moment where this would spark a conversation between you and them. And that they would not just be met in their brokenness, but that they would actually experience that restoration in their life. That they would experience that new life and that excitement of seeing you in their life. I pray that you would go with them as they tell their stories, either to their neighbors or just those around them or, or wherever you would lead them, God, to share their story. I pray that you would embolden them and inspire them to share that. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you died in our place to bring us into new life. Thank you that you didn't just stay dead, that you actually rose from the grave. And that death now has no sting. Death did not have the final word. Your word is eternal. And so, God, we thank you. We bless your name this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me and receive this as your send-off blessing?
First, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope you take me up on that offer for coffee. I'd love to get to know you better. Um, but if not, it was at least good to see you this morning. And so as we go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.